In March of 2022, our family was forced to evacuate from Ukraine. We have served as missionaries in Lviv for over 20 years, and now, like so many others, we find ourselves suddenly displaced from our home, our church, and our precious Ukrainian friends. But despite the shock of evacuation, God is opening doors and leading us step by step down this new path. Our purpose is to bless and minister to Ukrainians affected by the war. Come with us as we share our stories, striving to serve God, bless people, and praying that someday soon, this journey will lead us back to our beloved Ukraine. Well, hello everybody, Joshua and Kelsey here. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Journey to Ukraine podcast. I'm sorry, I know it's been a long time since our last episode. It's our intention to release more frequently. But in our defense, I will say that international moves can be very time-consuming. I don't recommend them unless absolutely necessary. (laughs) But the good news is that we are back. We are broadcasting this time from Ukraine. In fact, I was just telling Kelsey before we started, this is our first uh, episode from Ukraine since we've been back. Um, So to sum that up, after many months of prayer and tears and sweat and blood and all the rest and ministering from afar, the Steele family is now back in Ukraine. Yay! That's good. Well, in preparing today's podcast, uh, there was no shortage of things to talk about. And I think it's safe to say that our heads have been spinning from all the different things going on. Um, We're going to try to fill you in as best we can without letting this episode drag out too long here. So to start with, as we said a minute ago, the move back from Slovakia is complete. It actually took us three waves to do. So that was different trips of van loads of stuff and people going back and forth across the border. And uh, it was quite the operation, but it's now finished. So Kelsey, why don't you start out and tell us or kind of give us a short recap of how the move went? Sure. Well, I have to say that this might have been our hardest move that we've ever undertaken. And we have moved a lot of times. Um, due to the international factor, so crossing international borders, the move was protracted over a period of about six weeks. So that alone made it more difficult because you're dealing with upheaval for six weeks or more. Right. And as Joshua said, we did it in three waves, uh, moving van loads of things each time. So on the second wave, a pastor from our church here in Lviv and his wife came to Slovakia and they brought the church van. So we had two Mm -hmm. van loads of stuff. And on that wave, we brought the whole family back to Lviv. Um, And the apartment here in Lviv needed a major clean out. Uh, the people who had lived here kept it in great condition, but we, our family had just had a, you know, a lot of things that needed to be gone through. There was an enormous amount of stuff to go through and sort. Uh, and then after we got the bulk of our stuff to Lviv, Joshua and Abby went back to Slovakia for three weeks, and there were things that they, they needed to bring closure to the house in Slovakia and give it back to the landlady. So there were just things to give away, uh, furniture that had to be transported out, repainting the interior. We had lawn uh, paraphernalia of different kinds that had to be dealt with and given away. So Josh and Abby were able to give the house back to the landlady. That all went very well, and she was very happy with the condition of the house. We're really grateful that God helped us close out that chapter and get everything uh, everything done that we needed to. So moving on, we want to talk about what it's been like coming back to Lviv. So Josh, let's open up the conversation about what is it like living in Lviv with a war going on? Right. Um, So on the one hand, um, I would say that there's a lot of normal life going on here. In fact, if you were just, if you were here with us right now, 
Um, for most of the time, you wouldn't be able to tell that there's a war right. on. Uh, shops are open. All the utilities are on. People are running around. The streets are just if anything, they're more packed with cars <laughs> than they ever have been. So it's it's not like this is some kind of a, you know, a ghost town or anything like that. Um, on the other hand, uh, there are the occasional air raid sirens, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, one thing for us that's been a real encouragement has been uh, reuniting with our church family here. We, we just really love our church and the folks here. And I think that it's also an encouragement to the folks here that we have come back. I know when we were considering a return to Ukraine, we did what many people do, and we kind of like talked to others. We we looked, you know, to see, you know, if our, if some of our friends had already come back, we had some that that had returned, and you, you kind of tend to look around and get some equilibrium from the decisions that other people have made to reassure yourself that you're kind of not out in left field somewhere. Um, and it was an encouragement to us to see, for example, our friends, the Chmiels. They had come back several months before we did, and they were doing fine. Um, so that gave us some confidence and some courage. But then when we get back, when we got back to Lviv, uh, there was one Sunday when, um, shortly after we returned, when a lady came up to me and she said, so are you guys kind of like back permanently now? And we said, yes, we are. We're planning to, we feel like the Lord has brought us back and we're planning to be here. And she said, oh, that's wonderful. It must mean then that everything will be okay. And of course, you know, only God knows the future, but at least for her, the fact that we had made the decision to return was heartening. It was something right. that gave her hope looking forward uh, in, into this war and these times of uncertainty. For sure. So one thing that was certainly an adjustment for me was going to bed each night knowing that we might be awakened by an air raid. Mm. And especially during the period when Joshua was away in Slovakia, uh, this weighed on me more heavily, and there were a few nights that I didn't sleep as well. Um, but recently, things have been very quiet on that front. Uh, there was an attack on July 6th, which we'll talk about more here in a minute, but since that time, there's only been one other air nighttime raid. And then today, we we also took the family to the hall. There was an air raid siren, and we sat there for, for a little while. But um, the missiles that were, that were in the air were shot down, as far as we know, and they never even made it as far as the Lviv Oblast. Uh, so for about two weeks, we've been sleeping all night long. So yeah, that's, that's been, been nice. a real blessing. Yeah. Yeah, and when the sirens do go off, it's often because a Russian plane, especially like the MiG-31s, have taken off from a base, say, in Belarus. <clears throat> and those particular planes, the MiG-31s, are capable of carrying the hypersonic missiles, the Kinjals. And so when they take off, as a precaution, uh, the Ukrainians will often sound the air raid sirens across the entire country because they technically don't know, you know, if the plane were to launch a missile, they can't know for sure where it would target and it has the capability of hitting any point in the country. And when that happens, when the sirens go off, one of the first things we do is we check our phones and we look at our telegram channels. Um, we've talked about that before. We follow a variety of news, government channels, uh, other people who are a few kilometers closer to the action than we are, whatever. And by looking at all of that, you can get a pretty good picture in aggregate of what's happening, even things like, you know, what oblast are the missiles over now, that sort of thing. And right. so we try to determine whether this is just a precautionary alert because of, say, a MiG takeoff or whether there actually are rockets in the air. Mm -hmm. For this morning, for example, that was the reason we went to the hallway because we saw pretty quickly on our channels that there were missiles in the air. It wasn't just a maneuver. There were actually missiles. Now, praise the Lord, they never made it anywhere close to us, but that was that was why we made the decision to take shelter there. Um and so when that happens, we move the family to the center of our house. We have a hallway that's kind of in the middle of our apartment, and it's flanked by very thick. Uh, some of the walls are like two feet thick. They're like load-bearing walls. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's, you know, it's certainly not a guarantee, say, in the, in the event of a direct hit, which is highly unlikely. 
Um, but it does it does help a lot to protect against things like flying glass or debris collapsing on top of you. Some of the same logic you might hear from somebody who's lived in California. And my mom grew up in California, and I know I've heard a lot of um, you know people talk about getting between two walls or getting like in the bathtub where if something were to fall on you, it wouldn't actually crush you. Things like that. Um, and the other interesting thing is that, sadly, many of us now have quite a lot of experience looking at the damage that these cruise missiles do to buildings. Um, like after the July 6th strike, we saw really clear drone footage of the of the damage that was done by those missiles when it hit the buildings. And you look at that damage and you kind of think, wow, had we been in that building would we have survived and where would it have been where would you have wanted to be located in the building when the hit occurred so anyway those are those are things that factor into our calculations and so when we go to the when we go to the hallway we have some blankets that are ready to go in the shafa there and in, in the closet and we put those out on the floor the kids have pre-assigned spots you know by the door or by this wall or whatever everybody kind of has a space and we sit there with our phones or our coffee or our books or if it's at, if it's at night we sleep if we can and wait until we get the all clear So often, cruise missiles are shot down before they ever reach Lviv, but early in the morning of July 6th, Lviv got an unexpected shock. Yes. Um, as people have asked us about, you know, Lviv and is it safe there, one of the one of the things that we have often pointed to, and we're not the only ones, many people have pointed this out, is that so far in the war, there hadn't been any, any occasions where missiles had actually struck uh, residential buildings in the city. There have been some things like some oil depots that were hit, or there were some hits kind of out in the in the Lviv region beyond the city limits. But there had never been like a, a missile strike in the city center that hit somebody's residential, like their home or whatever in the city. Well, that all changed on July 6th. Um, the uh, the air raid siren happened at night uh, in early hours of, of the morning. Um, and if you want to read more details about the strike, uh, you can check out our blog post. We actually did a blog post later that day, and we talked about the specifics. So if you haven't seen that, <clears throat> then um, feel free to check that out. But I know for a lot of people, there's you know there's concern about these strikes and our family being here. And you may be asking, like, well, you know, now that this has happened, does this change anything for your family? Has it made you reconsider your decision to return to Ukraine? And the short answer is no. Um, on the one hand, are we concerned? Uh, do we feel like there's risk involved? Yes, of course. And we've talked about that before. Are we planning to leave Lviv? Are we planning to go back to somewhere in Europe or back to the States? No. Um, for one thing, we don't believe that this strike is the beginning of some kind of a new pattern. Um, if, you know, we can't know the future, but if the, if history is anything to go by, Lviv is not a strategic target for the Russians. They like to hit it once in a while. I think the Russians um, like to try and sow terror in people's minds or give mm -hmm. them the impression that there's nowhere safe in the country. And so from time to time, they do lob missiles this direction. Sadly, this time, uh, those missiles actually hit some people's homes and there were, um, there were deaths, there were casualties. Um, but the truth of the matter is the, the Russians have much bigger problems, uh, on the east side of the country and that's where they're focusing the majority of their, of their military action, uh, not here in the West. So we really don't think this is something that's going to be like uh, an increasing danger in the days to come. Um, and 
regardless of all of that, our previously stated conclusions remain the same. Firstly, that we believe God has led us back here to Ukraine. We're not afraid to follow that lead. We know there is danger, um, but hello, that's nothing new in the kingdom of God, that he sometimes leads his people to places that are where there is danger. And when we when that happens, we trust him for his protection. Um, also, secondly, on a more practical level, we actually believe that the relative risk <clears throat> to the safety of our family here is low. Mm-hmm. Certainly when you compare say, the city of Lviv to other areas in Ukraine, or even when you compare them to places in the U.S. Uh, For example, the dangers that you might face if your family is living in Dallas, Texas, or Chicago, or New York, or Mm -hmm. a place like that, dangers like, you know, violent crime, drugs, um, sex trafficking and kidnapping, those kinds of things. It's not to say that those, those kinds of things don't ever occur in Ukraine. They do but not nearly on the scale that we see them in the U.S. or school shootings, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So if you take those types of things into consideration, believe it or not, we actually feel quite a bit safer with our family here in Lviv than we would certainly if we were living in a place like Chicago or New York. Um, But again, for us, the largest factor there is the fact that we believe God has led us here and we're, we're confident trusting him, trusting his protection, following that lead. Also, the likelihood, I think, of a missile or drone Firstly, making it as far as Lviv, getting through all the air raid or the air defenses that are in between Russia and Lviv, and then for that missile striking somewhere inside the city limits, and then for that missile to actually hit our building in such a way that impacts our family directly, that is an extremely low likelihood uh, in in our estimation. So anyway, I hope that's uh, something of a comfort there. Right. So I'll just add one word from my perspective about safety, just a thought that's been running through my head. And that is how Christians, people who belong to God, um, they are held by God. Yes. And he has already appointed the number of each of our days. He knows exactly where we are. He, uh, he already knows, you know, in what manner we're going to exit this world and go into the next. And God cares about us and our children. And if anything, our family really saw some clear examples of that when we evacuated from Ukraine, when we were living abroad in Slovakia. And we we did seek God's direction for coming back here and, yes. and believe that we're following his leading. On the morning of July 6th, of course, the, the news was trickling in about the attack and, and the lives that were lost. And it was it was a shock because, you know, as Josh mentioned, something of that um, severity had not happened in Lviv before. But I opened my Bible that morning and I, I decided to read Psalm 6 since it was July 6th. And I, I ended up reading three Psalms. I read Psalm 6, Psalm 36, and Psalm 66. And it was amazing to me how many correlations there were there between what had happened in the night and the war in general, the war in Ukraine, and the the language in these Psalms. And I don't think it was a coincidence that I just happened to, to read there on that morning. But for example, you've got in those Psalms, you have enemies. And then you've got descriptions of the evil man and the dreadful lengths that he will go to to do his mischief. And there's danger. In particular, David says over and over how much his life was in danger and people were persecuting him and et cetera. But then on the other hand, you've got God's loving kindness and his trustworthiness. And David was reiterating his willingness to trust in God, despite those circumstances, how that God is the one who preserves our life. And in Psalm 66 there, I ran into verse nine, which says, uh, speaking about God, who holdeth our soul in life and suffereth not our feet to be moved. Amen. So, you know, we don't know the future or what will happen to any of us, but we do know the one who holds us.
let's go on and get to some of the hot items that are happening right now or are just about to happen. Uh, Joshua, after a break of nearly four years, CMO, or Carpathian Mountain Outreach, is coming back. Yes, praise the Lord. We are really excited about that. Uh, The last time we actually did a CMO project was in 2019. It's amazing how how that time has passed. Um, And for the last three years now in a row, we have had to cancel CMO for a variety of reasons. And the first two years, so 2020 and 2021, we had to cancel because of COVID problems. There were times when we, we either couldn't get people into the country, you know, for guys to come over, or if we did, there was no practical way to do our typical evangelism um, outreaches because we, we weren't permitted to gather groups of people or those kinds of things. And then the third year, so 2022, we had to cancel because of the full-scale invasion, right. um, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, and certainly the war is not yet over, but we believe that things have stabilized enough where we've got a chance of doing the project. So this year, <clears throat> CMO is coming back and it starts in less than three weeks. Now you may be wondering, okay, well, um, do you actually have any guys that are coming from the States? And the answer is yes, we do. Uh, initially, we had two guys that signed up for the project. Uh, one guy ended up backing out for uh, reasons unknown. Um, but we do have uh, another guy who is coming. Uh, and in addition, to, his name is Bill. In addition to that, we have Nathan Day, um, who is, of course, one of our one of our colleagues and a, a missionary who served with us for many years. His family, Caitlin and the kiddos, will be staying in the U.S. for the time being, but he's going to come back for the project. Mm-hmm. And then we have this young man that I mentioned, and his name is Bill Thompson. He's from Minnesota. Now, Bill is kind of a special connection for our family. Uh, he is the son of Hank and Amy Thompson. Now, Hank is a guy that I met in Thailand many years ago at the same time that I met Nathan. Both Hank and Nathan and myself and several other guys were part of a project that uh, No Greater Joy organized in Thailand way back in the early 2000s. And if you've been following my ministry for a very long time, you may remember that I spent about seven months in Thailand in uh, 2003 and early 2004 before Kelsey and I got married. So anyway, we have a lot of history with the Thompson family. They they served as missionaries in Thailand uh, after the NGJ project concluded. They served as missionaries for many years there. Um, when I first came back to Ukraine after Thailand, I actually came back with Nathan and Hank. The, the, mm-hmm. the, um, the three of us came together. And of course, Nathan stayed in Ukraine. Hank ended up going back to Thailand. But now it's exciting to see Hank's son, uh, Bill, Uh, who's grown up and who's going to be joining us uh, for some ministry here in Ukraine. So the plan is that Nathan and Bill will be flying into Krakow, Poland on August 8th. Um, And the reason for that is that at at the moment you can't fly directly anywhere in Ukraine because Ukrainian airspace is still closed. But Krakow is not far from us, so we will drive to Krakow and pick them up. They'll be here with us for the duration of the project. Uh, and then we'll take them back to Krakow to fly out when it's over. And in addition to the three men on the team, so that being myself, Nathan, and Bill, we're also excited to have our older daughters participating in the project this year as well. So to one degree or another, Abigail, Rebecca, and Hosanna will all have roles to play in the project. Um, the plan is for Abby pretty much to be with the team full time. So even when we go out to uh, distribute tracks in the cities or when we're on the mountain trips or whatever, Abby will be with the team Um, And also, just to clarify, in case anyone is wondering, despite the ongoing war here, we are planning our usual full CMO program. So all of the normal things that we have done in the past for CMO, mountain trips, um, presentations, open air, track distribution, all that stuff is still on the docket. And uh, unless something comes up that changes that, we're planning to do the the, the full thing. So... um, 
anyway, we would appreciate your prayers as we get ready for CMO. It's coming up very soon. We're very, very busy trying to get ready for it, but we're excited to see CMO coming back, and we're excited to see what God will do this year to advance the kingdom of God. So this year, we are trying a new outreach as a part of CMO, and we have put together a Steel Family concert with Ukrainian patriotic songs, a few English songs as well, and we would like to use this concert as a means of drawing people together to hear the gospel. Um, So Joshua, can you tell us a little bit more about how this idea came together for our family to sing? Yes, this has been an interesting development. Uh, This is something very new for our ministry. Um, And I'll give a little background about why this happened. Um, As we were starting to plan uh, CMO for this year, we encountered a a significant problem. In the past, the the core of our mountain outreaches has been these film showings. If you followed us before, you know we we go to the mountains and we invite people to come to like a community center or whatever. And we've traditionally shown uh, Christian films like Fireproof or, um, or Courageous. The problem is that at the time those films were released, they, like many other films of the time, were dubbed in Russian. That was Mm -hmm. just commonly done then. It was probably um, an economic decision. You could reach more people if you used Russian. And so almost all Hollywood films that came out on DVD or even some that were shown in theaters at that time were all dubbed in Russian. That's what we've traditionally shown it in. And it's not a problem in terms of comprehension. People all around here speak Russian. It's no big deal. But now, with the war going on, the Russian language has some pretty negative associations, as you might guess, and doing any kind of public demonstration, whether that's a a play, a movie, a speech, uh, TV shows, any of that in Russian is pretty much a non-starter in Ukraine at this time. So we knew that we couldn't just go and show the films as we had before. We needed to come up with something different. And what we decided to do is shift gears, and instead of showing films, we are doing a, a Ukrainian music program or a concert. Um, now, our family has loved music for years. Many of us are musicians. I play guitar. Kelsey and the girls all play piano. We enjoy singing together. We actually kind of like dipped our toe in that when we were in Slovakia uh, doing some music ministry and outreach for refugees there. And because of a lot of the generous donations that we got from folks uh, really around the world uh, during that time of evacuation, we were able to put together quite a nice sound system with speakers and a new mixer and all these things that that enable us to travel and, and sing. So we thought this year for CMO, we would do a family concert. We've also experienced in the past that Ukrainians tend to respond very positively when we sing in public as a family. There's kind of a certain charm power that sort of melts the ice or disarms people and kind of opens doors. And this year, um, we're going to focus on that. Now, we're still uh, developing our program, um, but at present, we've put together a list of about 15 songs that we could perform uh, at a given concert. And these are a mix of Ukrainian songs and English songs. Some of them are like Ukrainian, uh, as Kelsey said, like patriotic or folk songs. Some of them are Christian songs. Um, But we've been working really hard. We've been having music practices every day. We have been networking with people around Ukraine, different parts to set up events. Um, And there's just a million details. It turns out that the logistical and technical requirements for putting on a concert like this where you have multiple people singing and instruments and all of that is quite a bit steeper than what we have experienced with before uh, in just showing the films. So we would really appreciate your prayers for us as we as we um, 
as we move into this kind of new phase of ministry. Um, now, the the format will be very much the same or mostly the same as we have done in past CMOs in that we'll be having concerts, hopefully in, in places in the Carpathian Mountains, camping out and so forth. But it's just that instead of showing the films, we'll be doing the, uh, the music. Um, our first concert is actually this Sunday before CMO starts. We have, it's not gonna be in the Carpathians, it'll be close here, uh, closer in the Lviv area, but it's our first uh, It's our first one and we're excited about it. So we'd really appreciate your prayer support for July 30th. Mm-hmm. We'll be performing in the city of Radakiv and we're hoping to get to talk with people there and hand out good and evil books, invite folks to join our Bible First course and just to see what God will do through this uh, new ministry. Well, several of our listeners might remember that earlier in the year, we announced an opportunity to liaison with a missionary in West Africa, and the need was for Bible First Online to be ready in the French language so that it could be used for evangelism efforts on the field in Africa. So in the middle of our international move and preparing concerts and other things, actually a lot of work has been going on to move this project forward. So Joshua, can you give us a status update for this project? Absolutely. Yep. So we'll start by saying that we are excited to announce that Bible First French is now officially available. In fact, if you want to see it, go to biblefirst.online slash fr, as in French, or if you just go to biblefirst.online, the, the root URL there, look in the upper right corner, you'll see a language picker. And in addition to English Ukrainian, um, you can select French now. Now, you, you won't actually see much content unless you actually sign up as a French student and, and go through the whole French course and whatever. Uh, but it's there, it's available and we're really excited about that. There are a lot of people that have worked very hard to make this a reality, and I would like to acknowledge them uh, in this part of the episode. So to start with, I'll just say that during the development of this project, we have kept in touch with our missionary contact in uh, Africa. It's a fellow named Nate Wilkerson, um, and Nate now has his own coaching account that's set up with Bible First Online, um, and he's got access to both the English and French versions of Bible First, the course. Um, And based on what he's told us, there are already several people who are in line uh, waiting to begin the course, and we're excited to hear how that goes. And as I said, there there are several other people that have worked really hard to make this project a reality. So to start with, I'd like to say a big thank you to J.D. Grimes from No Greater Joy. J.D. was our initial point of contact on this, and he was the one that really spearheaded the translation of French. He contacted us a year or so ago saying that he had found some people that were interested in in translating the course into French, and he was really kind of the middleman. We gave him the materials in English. He worked with the translators, and um, and they worked very quickly. I was surprised, and they got the entire course translated into the French language. Um, so kudos to JD and all the work that he and, and No Greater Joy really have done to make this happen. Another fellow that I'd like to recognize is a friend of ours named David Aguilar. Now, David recently has played a big role in running digital ad campaigns. Um, one thing that No Greater Joy has actually done a lot in different parts of the world is to run these digital ads like through Facebook and other other means. And they try to get in touch with people, especially folks that are in closed countries, and drive traffic to their, their online mobile-friendly version of the Good and Evil book. Um, and people are able to download those like on a mobile phone and they can read good and evil on their phones. And NGJ has a specially formatted version of it that is that is easily visible on a mobile device. So David had the vision working with Nate Wilkerson to run these ad campaigns there in the French speaking countries in Africa. And then when people respond and they show interest in the good and evil books to then take uh, respondents from that pool and try to get them involved in Bible first. And now that Bible first is available in French, 
that's a reality. So we're, we're grateful to David and also for the folks that are fi financing this because these mm -hmm. ads are not free. The people that are working behind this to, to get uh, this content into the hands of uh, French-speaking folks in Africa. Uh, now, moving on, another person that has put a ton of effort recently into the Bible First French project is our very own Nathan Day. Now, for many of you, you're, many of you know that Nathan and his family are kind of on a furlough in the U.S., but that notwithstanding, Nathan has worked very, very hard uh, to input all of the French text from the translation into this special ASCII doc format that we use in our app. So when we get, say, a translation of, of a lesson into French back from the translator, it just comes in kind of as a, a Word document. But that's, that document is not in a format that, our, that an online web application can understand. Right. It has to be specially formatted so that Bible First Online can display it uh, in the proper way with all the pictures and, and the links and everything that it needs. And so somebody has to sit down and transfer all that stuff. Now, uh, I've done work on that kind of thing in the past, but I've been really swamped over on this side of the world, moving my family back from Slovakia, getting ready for CMO. So Nathan has really stepped up to the plate, and he has done the vast majority of all of the data entry for the French translation, putting it into ASCII doc, putting the quiz information in. Um, this is a lot of manual data entry, and we're really, really grateful for the efforts that Nathan has put out. It would not have been possible uh, without his work. And having said that, there are two other folks that I just want to recognize quickly here. Um, and they have not been involved in this most recent push for the French project, but their efforts in the early days did play an important role in laying the groundwork for this project. The first of those is a lady named Catherine Levitt. And Catherine was actually the first person ever to contact us about a French translation of Bible First. Now, Catherine is a French national living in the U.S., and she had a vision to translate the course herself. Uh, she did make some initial progress towards that end, uh, and I believe she completed at least the first two lessons translated into French. And while her initial plans did not come to fruition to translate the entire course, it was her initiative that originally led us to lay much of the early groundwork for Bible First French, things like a French version of our logo, some of the back-end work that had to happen um, for the app in order to serve the French language content. So really grateful to Catherine. And if you, Catherine, if you're listening to this, thank you so much for your vision, for your work, uh, for reaching out to us. And um, we're, we're just grateful for that. The last person I'd like to recognize today is Ralph Villeneuve. Um, and for all his work on Bible First. Ralph is a native French speaker from Quebec, Canada, and he came to visit us in Ukraine back in uh, 2017. Ralph did extensive work on the Spanish and Russian translations of Bible First, and he also provided feedback and consulting uh, for our early efforts to launch French. So again, big thank you to Ralph. Uh, Ralph, if you have any, uh, if you have any um, uh, feedback or input on the, on the French translation that's now available, always, always look forward to hearing from you. Thank you so much for, uh, for your input and investment in our ministry. Now, the, uh, I mentioned there the Spanish and Russian translations. Those are largely complete, although both, both of those translations still lack work. And you may be asking yourself, well, well when are they going to be released? When are you going to get time to work on those projects? And the answer to that is the same as most everything else in our ministry after CMO. <laughs> So from air raid sirens to Ukrainian patriotic songs to Bible First French, we've brought you a pretty big update today. Uh, thanks to those of you who made it this far with us. Uh, we greatly appreciate your prayers for our family and that you've followed our podcast, followed our family back to Ukraine. 
Now, one thing I did not mention uh, much today is an update on the war itself. Um, if you haven't been following it, let me just reassure you that the the war news out there is voluminous and it's readily available from many reputable online sources. Um, so if you want more updates on the war itself in Ukraine, what's going on, um, reports and things like that, do look at the list of resource links that we have in the show notes. I would caution you to be careful of disinformation. Um, the Russians uh, are very, very good at disinformation, especially it is felt in America. Sometimes the things that we hear from people in the States um, are shocking to us because those are nothing like the reality of what we uh, what we experience here and what we know to be true from reports that are much closer to the ground, so to speak. Um, so if you're concerned about getting uh, accurate news, uh, do check out the links that we've provided. Those are sources that we believe are faithful. Um, if nothing else, they line up with what we're seeing with our own eyes. Um, but I digress. Uh, as we as we wrap up the episode here, um, I want to I just want to say that we are now on the threshold of a very intense summer outreach. We've got CMO coming up. We've got these new concerts. Our whole family will be traveling. Will be involved, even though little kids in singing, and it's all a bit daunting. But we are nonetheless excited to see what God will do. These are historic times, and while the hardship for Ukraine is great, we also see great opportunity. Now, last week, one of the ladies in our church came up to me. She was beaming from ear to ear, and she said, this is revival, and uh, she said that in response to the announcement that we had made about our, our plans to do the concerts. And the reason she said that is because she remembers Ukraine's previous wave of revivals that went through the country in the early 1990s, shortly after the fall of the Soviet Union. And since that time, she's been praying that God would move again in her country. And of course, as we've said so many times, we can't know the future. We don't know what God will do. Um, we're just one small group. Um, and we have a plan to go out and spread the gospel and use our music as a way, um, as a way to open doors with people. Um, but we do know that God is with us. We know that he's called us to do this. We know that he is able to bless our efforts and to bring great in increase uh, for his glory and his kingdom. So please keep praying for Ukraine. Pray for peace. Pray for liberty. Pray for victory over the oppressor. That's all for now. Thank you so much for listening and have a fantastic day. May God bless Ukraine. Нехай Бог благословить Україну.